One Sunday, a pastor preached a sermon on honesty. Honesty. Monday morning, he he took the bus to get to his office. He paid the fare, and the bus driver gave him back too much change. During the rest of the bus ride, the pastor was rationalizing how God provided him with some extra money. He needed for the week. But he just could not live with himself. So before he got off the bus, he proceeded to give back the extra money and said to the bus driver, you made a mistake. You've given me too much change. The bus driver smiled and said, There was no mistake. I was at your church yesterday and heard you preach on honesty. So I decided to put a test to that this morning. (laughs) We call that walking in integrity. Walking in integrity. Now, we have talked about walking in here before from a biblical perspective. And it refers to our our manner of living, our lifestyle. That's what walking refers to, our lifestyle. But what about integrity? What does... Integrity mean? What is integrity? Well, the word integrity comes from the root word integer. Integer. Which we learned way back in math class. Right? Yeah, I'm the same way. We learned back in math class. And an integer is a whole number, not a fraction. And in the context of moral character, integrity speaks of a person who is morally whole. He or she is morally upright through and through. There is no division. They are the same person in private when no one's looking as they are in public. This morning, as we continue in Daniel, we will see a man who walks with integrity, whose circumstances dramatically change, but his convictions do not. He's undivided. 
And what you see on the outside is what you get on the inside. If you recall from last week, the mighty Babylonian Empire was defeated. King Belshazzar was slain. And the new Medo-Persian Empire is now ruling the known world. And King Darius, a military general of the Mede army, is, is appointed by King Cyrus to oversee all of Babylon. Now, as you might imagine, after a conquest of this magnitude, King Darius would want to reorganize the government to establish his authority and make things conform to his own leadership style and goals. But when Darius began to do this, he exposed a conflict between Daniel and the other officials in his government. A conflict that would eventually put Daniel's integrity to the test. So with some fresh eyes, we are going to look at a well-known story to many of you. Well-known. And if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and we will begin with verse 1. Daniel 6, beginning with verse 1. We are told... <clears throat> It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. King Darius began to reorganize his government. And he appoints 120 satraps, whom we might call governors, to rule over the various providences in the empire. In their role, they have several important functions in the government one of which is to collect taxes for the king. Now, it would be impossible for the king to oversee everything in his empire and to supervise all of these governors. 
So the king appointed three commissioners to report directly to him. And they were to manage the affairs of the governors and to assure the governors did not help themselves to the king's taxes. Of these three commissioners, Daniel, who was about 83 years old and retired at the time, is pulled back into royal service. Apparently, the king did his homework. He gathered information and he learned that Daniel had a reputation for being wise and having integrity. And over time, Daniel proved to be such a superior and trusted commissioner a man of integrity walking in tune with his God that Darius planned to make him his number one guy in the empire. This is a very similar story to Joseph in Egypt, isn't it? You remember that story? Where Joseph went from the pit to a prison And lastly, to a palace. Just like Joseph, Daniel is planned to be elevated to the king's right-hand man. But not everyone was in favor of the king's plan. Let's continue beginning with verse 4. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying, began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. The other two commissioners and the governors hear about the king's plan to elevate Daniel. And it does not sit well with them. They are envious and they are jealous. And more importantly, if Daniel is in charge, they won't be able to use their positions for personal profit. They don't want that old Jewish exile telling them what to do and checking on their work. They can't get away with what they want to get away with. And they got to stop this somehow, some way. 
So they start digging for dirt. They start to look for skeletons in Daniel's closet so they might accuse him before the king. But nothing against Daniel can be found. They find nothing lacking in his performance or his personal character. They got to take a different approach. If they're going to get to Daniel, it must pertain to his faithfulness to his God. Now, how did they know that? Because Daniel did not hide his faith in the one true God. They knew he prayed in his home three times a day with his window open towards Jerusalem. And they concluded the only way to get Daniel would be to force him to choose between obedience to the Medo-Persian law and obedience to his God. They knew that if the king made prayer to one's God illegal, then they had Daniel right where they wanted him. So they put their devious plan into motion. And beginning with verse 6, we are told, Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius live forever. Get you right there, don't you? Already. Get you right there. All the commissioners of the kingdom, that's a lie, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together and the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. I love this. King Darius must have been impressed when all these government officials showed up in his throne room. And of course, Daniel was not there. Then they start to butter up the king. They knew the king wanted to unify the kingdom And what better way than to focus on the great king himself and make him not just their leader, but the only God. 
for an entire month. In effect, they said, Hey, King, we've all been talking and we have a great idea. Listen up. We have a great idea. We would like to make you the God of the month. God of the month. And for the next 30 days, all prayers must be directed to you. And if anyone prays to another god, well, it's to the lion's den for them. How does that sound, O king? God of the month. They appealed to the king's pride. And the king takes the bait. That sounds like fun. God of the month. Sure. Let's do it. And Darius signed it into law, knowing that it could not be repealed, not even by himself. If you recall in the book of Esther, remember our study in Esther, under Medo-Persian law, once a law was signed into effect by the king, it could not be changed or nullified or repealed, not even by the king. That's the law. Unfortunately, by signing this law into effect, the king had no idea that Daniel was secretly the only intended target. And that brings us to verse 10. Verse 10. Now Daniel knew that the document was signed. He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. This might be the heart of the story. Right there. Daniel hears about the new law. His enemies waste no time in proclaiming it because they want him out of there sooner than later. And what does Daniel do? He does what he has always done. What he had been previously doing. He prayed. With his very life on the line, Daniel's change in circumstances did not change his convictions. 
He was consistent. He's undivided. He was a man of integrity. He did not pray to show his integrity. He prayed because of his integrity. Now maybe Daniel could have closed the windows in his house. Maybe he could have prayed in another room. Maybe he could have justified taking a break from prayer for 30 days. Maybe he could have taken the stance, I'm a very old man. I've paid my dues to the Lord. I've served you my whole life. Almost 80 years. Over 80 years. But no. Daniel is faithful to his God and he will not compromise his devotion to him. He stays the course. In one region of Africa, the first converts to Christianity were very diligent about praying. In fact, the believers each had their own special place outside the village where they went to pray in solitude. You follow me? The villagers reached these places of prayer by using their own private footpaths through the brush. When grass began to grow over these trails, it was evident that the person to whom it belonged was not praying very much. And because these new Christians were concerned for each other's spiritual welfare, a unique custom sprang up. Whenever anyone noticed an overgrown prayer path, he or she would go to that person and lovingly say, friend, there's grass on your path. Well, there is absolutely no grass on Daniel's path. And in spite of this new law banning all prayer except to King Darius for 30 days, Daniel faithfully carries on with his routine of praying to his God just as he has done before. When the pressure was on, Daniel stayed the course with his God, and that's what we call walking in integrity. He's undivided. Three times a day for many years, just like clockwork, Daniel had prayed, giving thanks and making his requests known to God. It was a routine in his life. And sure enough, with his window open towards Jerusalem, his enemies find him praying. That brings us to verse 11. And let me say this before we dig in. Hear me. Doing right, doing right, is no guarantee that everything will go right. Okay? Doing right is no guarantee that everything will go 
right. Okay? Make sense? Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked, then the king answered and spoke, then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. The men who had spied on Daniel hurried to inform King Darius that his favorite guy, had disobeyed the law he had just signed about prayer, suggesting that Daniel was being disrespectful towards the king. He was not. They called Daniel out as one of those exiles from Judah. It was a demeaning remark. One of those, one of those guys. But the men did not realize that even though exiled, God was with those guys. Now there is every evidence to believe that Darius had become very fond of Daniel. And that helps to explain our next few verses. Beginning with verse 14, we are told, Then... As soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. The king was crushed. He was a mental wreck because he realized his foolish pride got the best of him. Snared in a trap of his own making, he put Daniel, his friend, and trusted helper in great peril. The king didn't want to sign the death warrant. But there were no appeals, there were no loopholes in the law to wiggle his way out of this. He spent all day looking for a way to rescue Daniel from execution, but all of his efforts failed. And of course, Daniel's enemies were on hand to remind the king 
that he had to enforce the law whether he liked it or not. At the end of the day, Darius had to call Daniel and have him put in the lion's den. Then beginning with verse 16, we read, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. With no way out for the king, no way out, he orders that Daniel be cast into the lion's den. The lion's den was the preferred method of execution of the Persians. The lion's den was a large pit divided by a movable wall that could be pulled up to allow the lions to go from one side to the other. The keeper would put food in the empty side and lift up the wall so the lions could cross over and eat. He would then quickly lower the wall to clean the safe side of the den. There's one more thing I need to mention. The lions weren't fed very often. And when they were fed, it was very little. For from a Persian perspective, the leaner, the meaner. The lions were always hungry. So as Daniel is lowered into the pit, the king speaks these words to him. Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. In essence, the king is saying, Daniel, I tried my best to save you, but I failed. It's completely up to your God now. The one you constantly serve. Constantly serve. He's speaking of Daniel's integrity. Daniel is going to end up in the lion's den for doing what was right. For doing what was right, and you know what? That's the way God wanted it. That's what God wanted. The pit was covered. And the stone was sealed so that everything was done according to the law. And nobody would dare break the king's official seal. Well, the king had a terrible night. 
He was sleepless and restless and he fasted. He's wondering if the Lord is going to deliver Daniel. And unbeknownst to the king, Daniel is having a better night than he is. Let's see what happened beginning with verse 19. Then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, there's his words again, constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent His angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before Him and also toward you, O king. I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he had trusted in his God. King Darius arose at the first light of dawn and made his way to the lion's den. Even before he got to the pit, he ordered the seal broken and the stone removed. And then he cried out with a question, Daniel, servant of the living God, whom you constantly serve, was your God able to deliver you? King Darius had previously signed a law that everyone had to turn to him as God for a month. But now the tables have turned and Darius is calling Daniel's God the living God. Then out of the darkness, out of the hardship, out of the pit, Daniel's voice is heard. Yes, my God is able. He has sent an angel. Get the picture? He has sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. I am innocent before God, and I am innocent before you, O king. When the king heard Daniel's voice, he knew that his friend and trusted helper had been delivered. And the lions did nothing but keep him company all night. Daniel, this 83-year-old man, was pulled out of the pit and no wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. So the lions went hungry that night. They were starving. But breakfast is on the way. Look at verse 24. Then the king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children, and their wives 
into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. What goes around comes around. Sin has consequences. And sometimes those consequences may involve others. We're told the king threw the men who had schemed against Daniel into the lion's den along with their families. That seems cruel to us, doesn't it? That seems cruel to us that the families were also executed along with the men, but that was an official Persian law. The men knew it. Written that way because they didn't want the remaining family members to later conspire to kill the ruler who had ordered the execution. So it was. Kill them all. That was the rule. That's the law. Kill them all. The men, the women, and the children. They were all thrown into the pit. They were told that before they even hit the bottom, the lions were catching them in the air. Crushing their bones. Now beginning with verse 25. The king issues a new decree. And I need to remind you that these words come from a pagan king. Okay? These words come from a pagan king. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land. Talk about the known world. May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he, it's come from a pagan king. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who also has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Can you imagine, I'm sure you can't, a decree like this coming from the White House, being broadcast on all the television stations and newspapers? Didn't think so. 
God could have kept Daniel out of the den. Read. God could have delivered him from the pit. But instead, God delivered Daniel in the pit. In the pit. And through it, God's power and glory was unmistakable. The result? The result? This decree about the living God from a pagan king to the known world. This was the real decree that was needed to be made by the king, and it was only made. It was only made because God allowed Daniel in the lion's den. We need to remember the story of Daniel and the lion's den. The next time we try to escape the trials and the difficulties and the hardships we find ourselves in. Not realizing that God might desire us to walk through those trials and difficulties and hardships with integrity. With integrity. So that He might be glorified and people might be changed. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for this time in Your Word. A very well-known story. Father, I will confess, I'll be the first to confess, I have no desire to go to the pit. I don't want to be in a lion's den. Or any den for that matter. I just don't want to be there. But Father, I know You are wiser than I am. And Your purposes and Your plans are far-reaching beyond my imagination. And you have a purpose for what you do. So Father, when we don't want to be in the den, when we don't have the answers we desire, when things don't make sense, when the hardships are hard, Father, help us to trust You and help us to walk in integrity, being undivided, wholly devoted to You.
irrespective of the circumstances. Help us to be committed to you no matter what. Thank you for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. A young man was applying for a job. And he gave his resume to the prospective employer. On his resume were three references. The pastor, his Sunday school teacher, and a deacon. The prospective employer looked at his resume, noticed his references, and then asked, Do you have any references that can speak to your weekdays? He's asking about integrity, isn't he? Because we will come to church on Sunday, big old smiles, loving, friendly, huggy. Sorry, Travis. Right? Right? We put our best foot forward on Sunday. We're God's house. Am I right? What about Monday? What's that like? Or Tuesday? Wednesday? Thursday? Friday? That's what I'm talking about. The person you are on Sunday should be the person you are on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. No division, no fraction, whole. That's integrity. That's walking in integrity. That's what this is about. Walking in integrity. Just doesn't seem right, you know, when I'm I'm nice and loving to you, but a tyrant to my wife or my kids. Many years ago, I'm telling on myself, many, many years ago, I was a young deacon in a church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Very involved in my church. Somebody had a need, I was right there. The family. I got to go do God's work. I got to go be a good deacon. 
I remember the conversation in my car with my wife on our way to church. Robert, it seems like you love the people in the church more than you love your family. Those are some hard words. They were good words. How can I come to church and be one thing before you? And be something different at home or at work. That's a lack of integrity. Two times in our passage, we saw the words from King Darius. Daniel, you constantly serve your God. Constantly serve. Constantly. That's integrity. Daniel served his God. What about you? What about you? Because if it's just a Sunday thing, probably not going to cut it. Do you serve him on Monday? Tuesday? Wednesday? Only you can answer that. Maybe you don't even know him. I would love to introduce you to our Lord and Savior if you do not know him. Give me a chance. Maybe you're looking for a church home. This is who we are. Maybe there's something else. You just need prayer. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. I just ask you be obedient to Him. Let this be the beginning of your obedience. It carries on on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday. Not just on Sundays. We're talking about integrity. Larry? Thank you.